0: got chapter one done, kind of not, but we'll see where we can get here. Um, I want you to remember the the book of Ephesians is important because it wasn't a book of of heavy correction like some of the other books were. Paul didn't feel a, a need for correction like the Corinthian church and the Galatian church and different ones, but he felt a need to edify the church and to build them up and to exhort them. One of the reasons was because Ephesus was a city that was on the major trade routes to Asia and to Africa, so it was a very important city. at At the time, uh, the church was it was a good church, but the thing that was happening is there were many heresies rising up, even as far back as 50 A.D. The devil attacked with heresy to try to throw God's people off the track that God. Uh, and put them on because, you know, Paul said, if any man preaches another gospel, let him be a curse. So uh, there was a lot of heresy. It's not nothing new that we suffer with. But so Paul wrote this letter in order to uh, encourage them. And you'll find 35 times in the King James where he tells us that our life is either in Christ or with Christ or through Christ. So he wants to establish that with everyone, that they know that our life as Christians, and you can write that down, is in Christ. Okay, we are in Christ now. And with Him, we are with Christ. And through Him or through Christ, that's how we have salvation. Now in chapter 2, we're going to get into the the uh, what God has done when we accept Him, what He's already done for us. Chapter 4, we'll be getting into predestination and a few things like that. I want to go back in chapter 1, though, just a little bit. and uh, Because we kind of... Heard, go to verse 15, if you would, in chapter 1, and then we'll get into chapter 2. There's a couple of things I want to point out. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter? Anybody remember? In
1: prison.
0: Where? Rome. 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 Okay. All right. Let me just read you something about Ephesians real quick here. So you'll understand the importance of this letter. The city of Ephesus was situated at an intersection of major roads running east and west and north and south. Ephesus stood at the doorway to Asian interior with travels from Persia, Egypt, travelers from Persia, Egypt, Greece, and Rome meeting within its walls. It was a big port in Paul's day. Though the port has now been silted up, and the modern city is some way inland, you can still go to the city. It's just not a port anymore. And it says, one of the 12 cities in the Onian League, it was a center of commerce and finance, with a theater that held 24,000. And so this was a big deal. The Ephesian church was a big deal. And keeping it going was a big deal. The theater itself held 24,000. And they had an enormous pagan temple measuring 420 feet by 240 square feet. The temple was dedicated to a black meteorite that fell on Ephesus. And we brought out the point that modern Muslims, when they go to Mecca, they walk around a black object... And so um, they worshiped at this uh, meteorite and and, uh, Ephesus was in a place where Diana was a Greek goddess and they worshiped Diana. And so there was a whole cult that worshiped Diana. So the gospel really needed to take root there and to flourish there because of the importance of where it was. Okay, so that's why Ephesus uh, was the biggest church right then. And uh, Paul spent a great deal of time there and so did uh, the Apostle John verse 15 in Ephesians 1 says wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints cease not to give thanks for you and making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom spirit of wisdom now, there are spirits that fight against us gaining wisdom. The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is all about getting the wisdom of God, how important the wisdom of God is. So Paul says that, the, that the, the, may give unto you and to me uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation as we g- grow in knowledge of Him. We can never learn too much about the Lord. <laughs> we grow and more revelation comes. How many of you know the more, more you seek revelation, the more you'll receive? Revelation is what we live by today, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit talk to us? In the Word. In the Word, first. How else? Prophecy. Yeah, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in many different ways. Actually, it could be an unction. There could be different um, dreams, and dreams and visions. That what's Joel say in the last days? What and what was quoted about? dreams and visions. He'll pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. That's all going to be ushered in by the Holy Spirit. So, I lost my place. Let me go back. Okay. So, Revelation will grow as our knowledge of Him grows. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now, there's two inheritances. Number one is, we inherit eternal life when we believe in Christ. But also, we are His inheritance. I want you to get that. There's a difference there. We are His inheritance. We how, how do we know that? We are His betrothed. How do I know that? Because we are the what? The bride of Christ. So, He is preparing a church that is spotless. He's the bridegroom and we're the bride. And so... Uh, we need to realize that we are an inheritance and He gives us an inheritance when we accept Him as our Savior. It's good to know you have an inheritance, right? And it's good to know that you're somebody's prize, isn't it? I'm somebody's prize. Think about that a minute. I'm part of the big wedding party. Jesus taught the parable about inviting everybody to the wedding and they wouldn't come. And he said, go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. They still wouldn't come. And everybody had excuses why they wouldn't come. And, and he got mad. And that is a forerunner of what's going to happen when the Lord comes back. He's going to judge the quick and the dead. And you're going to have to answer if you don't have your wedding garment. All right. So verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of His mighty power. Verse 20, which He in Christ, which He wrought in Christ or did in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. 1 Corinthians. All about the resurrection. How important the resurrection is. If the resurrection didn't take place as God had promised, then we would be foolish to believe. Because um, how many of you know that, you know the cross wasn't even used until the 4th century? I was reading about, Rome, uh, Rome used the cross as a form of, of of crucifixion. But when Constantine saw the cross in the sky, that's when he adopted it. When uh, supposedly God spoke unto him and said, "In this name, conquer." But until then, it was used. The Romans used it to kill people. That I mean, I always I never knew that. I always thought, well, the cross was a Christian symbol. It didn't become the Christian symbol until almost the fifth century A.D. Because before that, it was always a sign of death. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that just blows my mind. So, But the importance of it is, though, is that he's still not on the cross. And so if that's as far as God got you, well, listen now. I was raised Catholic, so I can say a few things about it. Uh, I was a good Catholic, too. But I'm not against the Catholic Church, but all I'm saying is, is their Savior's still on the cross. And ours was on the cross, but then he went to the grave and now he's resurrected. And we're going to see this in a few minutes. To leave him on the cross is basically a Roman thing is what it is. It's, you know, uh, I could get off on some real rabbit trails tonight with the Roman church. Not necessarily the church. The church just took over the political system is what it did. But I won't go there tonight. and That's for another time because that's nothing but trouble. Um, which he wrought in Christ okay verse 20 which he did in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places that's the first time heavenly places is mentioned is in that there who went to the heavenly places first he did later on in chapter 2 or or, yeah chapter 2 you're going to read where it says he seated us with Christ there's that with again or in or through we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We wouldn't be in heavenly places and seated with Christ or in Christ or through Christ or by Christ if he hadn't went first. Yeah. See, we had no access to heaven. That's right. No access because sin had cut man off and sin could not. Oh, wow. This is preaching material, but, but sin could not be standing in the presence of God. So sin had to be done away with, right? So when he came, sacrificed on the cross, uh, defeated death, hell, and the grave, he says, death, worse, I sting. So he took all that away. So he ascended and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And because you are the bride of Christ, we have a right. And the Bible says that he's raised us up to seat us in heavenly places through Christ. And you might say, well, I don't I don't feel like I'm sitting in a heavenly place or my life is not real heavenly right now. Well, this is about eternity because temporal things will pass away. All the problems we face, even our own bodies will return to dust. (laughs) But there's a promise of the inheritance. We have an inheritance. What's that inheritance? It's the kingdom of God. We're all part of the kingdom of God now. Okay, so. God set him on his own right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21 says, he's far above all principalities and power. Principality is like a realm, a place and power. He's above all power. He said, all power, all authority has been given to me. Wow. And might and dominion. In every name that is named, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus, because it gives us strength to pray in the name of Jesus, because he has dominion over everything. And his name is above every other name. Now, cancer has a name, sin has a name, and the name of Jesus is above that. How do we get that covered? Because let's admit it, sin is strong. Sin has a very strong pull on us. As carnal people. We live in the flesh, but we try to walk in the spirit. Okay? So the sin pull is amazing. I mean, it's just amazing the strength of it. If you know what I'm talking about, it never leaves you alone, it's always there. But it says here that his name is above every sin. Amen. That's why we call out sometimes we'll call out spirits of depression. Yeah. Because depression is a spirit. And that spirit has a name. It's a spirit of depression. So every now and then the Lord will will speak to someone or I'll get up and make a decree over the church about a spirit of depression. That has a name. And if if we could understand the spirit behind it, it probably has a name too. I don't know if it's depression, but we won't want to mess with it. But the name of Jesus is above every other name. So if you say, Oh, well, uh, I've got an orphan spirit. Well... When we accept Jesus, we no longer are orphans. That's right. That's right. We're brought into the family. Think about it. To take the bride of Christ out a little bit farther, if you have an orphan spirit, which comes from broken homes a lot of times, and abandonment, and in today's world, a lot of people have been through brokenness and abandonment and passed around like a loaf of bread sometimes. And But what happens is when we take on Christ, He becomes our Father. He becomes our Savior. He's the Son of God. Not only do we become part of the family, then we get to go to the wedding. Because we're the bride of Christ. And once you're in in His family, He's not going to kick you out. So that's why the name of Jesus is so important that we pray in that name because it says here that he's, He's above all principalities. Well, what are principalities? There's demon spirits in principalities. Okay, And demon spirits are powerful, but His name is above, has more power than those demon spirits. That's why when Peter manifested, my God, I mean, you know, the, the, the pull of sin is bad. When Peter said, no, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus looked at him. He didn't call him Satan, but the spirit that motivated Peter to say that, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, because you love more the things of this world than the things of God. So, you know, he named him by name and he had authority over him is what happened there. So he's over every principality, power, might, and dominion. And verse 22 says, and he's put all things under his feet. What's it say in Romans or book of Revelation? Ronnie Moore quoted this at the end of every sermon. What did he say? Come on. It goes along with that verse right there. He's put all things under his feet. Know this:
1: that, that the God of peace,
0: soon Christ Satan, where? Under, under your feet. Yeah, yeah. That goes all the way back to Genesis. Amen. That goes all the way back to Genesis, where the serpent was cursed. Yeah. Remember what he said that he would do to the serpent. He cursed, and he'd crawl on his belly, and his head would be crushed. Crushed. By what? By that name. huh? By the heel. Well, this is all tied together. Isn't it great how the word all comes together once you just break the bread?
2: Her
0: your seed. Huh? Her seed, your seed. Yeah. So he's put all things under his feet and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So Christ must be the preeminent. Jesus must have preeminence in the church, not man, not the doctrine, not the choir, not anything else. He should be preeminent because he's the only one that's over all of that. Because the Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we've not conquered every principality, have we? In our lives, we've not conquered every principality. We lack in power sometimes. But there's power in the name of Jesus. Power to do what? Break every chain. Break every chain. Mm -hmm. And verse 23 says, which is His body, the fullness of Him that fills all in all. That's why He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, one interesting thing that Jesus said, it's in the Old Testament too, uh, in a couple of places, but He said, they have no room in their heart for God. Or no room in their heart for the things of God. Well, He's the, fullness of, he's the fullness. He's God incarnate. He came in the flesh. And we must make room for Him in our lives. Isn't it interesting that the Christmas story that we tell every year, or we observe Christmas every year, it was about no room for Him when He was born, the Savior of the world. They had no room for Him. But another interesting thing is they were obeying the law. They were returning to the city of what? The city of... Isn't it? They they were going because Augustus Caesar proclaimed a census. He wanted a census. So everybody, even though they lived in Nazareth of Galilee, they had to all return to their birth. And so when Joseph and Mary went, they were just taking, fulfilling their duty. But when they got there, there was no place for them. And it's typical today because Jesus said, you, you have no room for me in your hearts. So we got to make room for him. That's what that teaches. Yep. Hallelujah! He's got room now. He's got all the heavens. Guess what? When he comes back and reigns for a thousand years and restores this earth to what it's going to be, he's going to have plenty of room then. <laughs> it's going to be neat. We're going to be part of that. Yep, Hallelujah! For those of you that never got to go to Jerusalem, you're going to get to go. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Chapter two, we finally got there. Well, you know, a lot of times it's divided into chapters, but the original manuscripts sometimes weren't divided into chapters. It was one continuous narrative. So that and at the beginning, I'm in the King James, says he has quickened. He's quickened. to Quicken something means to make it alive. Give it life. A quickening, okay? He, he's the fullness and he fills all. And it says he has quickened you who were dead in trespasses and sin. In other words, he resuscitated us. He restored us to the glory or the purposes that God had for us. He quickened us, a quickening. That's what an idea or a thought is. You could call it a quickening, a bringing alive of an idea. Um, Sometimes when you prophesy, you'll feel a quickening in your spirit or sharing a a prophecy with someone or having a word for someone. There'll be a quickening that takes place. That's a quickening of the Holy Ghost. It's making the whole purpose of prophecy and words that you might give to people is to build their faith, that the quickening might take place. If it's not the Holy Spirit giving you the quickening or, or urging you to do it, then it's not of God. It's of self. There has to be a quickening there. So every prophecy that you receive should speak about life. The end result should be edification for you, unless it's a prophet like Jeremiah who just prophesied doom and gloom. But even the great prophets of the Old Testament, they had a positive slant at the end because they told people how to get back to God. It's always been God's stories. This is what you got to do to get back to me. Okay, let's go on. He's quickened us. Verse 2, it says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? And all his little devils. How many of you understand the doctrine of original sin? What's original sin say? It said you were born into sin. Because Adam and Eve sinned, you were born into sin. And so you need a savior. So that's what... uh, We're fighting the same spirits, the same prince of the power of the air that he was talking about 2,000 years ago and that Adam and Eve were fighting against. He's at war with God. He's at war with the things of God. And it says, we walked, before we were saved, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. I was thinking today how messed up the world is right now. I don't want to be overly negative, but man, the world is messed up right now. Um, yeah, turned upside down. You know, I didn't live through the Second World War. Uh, I'm sure Ms. Gladys did. And Doris, you didn't. I'll smack him one.
2: Wasting my energy. Okay. Glad
0: I did. Yeah. You know, I, I can't imagine what it was like to be alive during the Second World War because the war the world was just going insane. I mean, I don't know how much news there was about it. News didn't travel as fast back then as it as it does now. But
1: that's because they have to walk every place. They have. Well,
0: the thing is, is that the Book of Revelation says it's going to be even worse than that. Yeah. It, you know they called World War One the the Great War, the War to End All Wars. Well, guess what? It wasn't, because man is desperately wicked, and he's always going to try to promote himself to take God's place. That's what the enemy does. Bible says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, "But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly." So the children of disobedience are still alive in the world today, and we're not talking about. Mine or your children of disobedience. It's the spirit that's alive that just torments mankind. Mm-hmm. Mankind's always got to conquer. Mankind's always got to take what's not his. That's what the enemy does. He wants to take he wants to take your testimony. He wants to take your peace of mind. He wants to take your conscience. He wants to take all the things that God cleansed when He saved you. Mm-hmm. Go on. Verse three. Among also, we, had, we all had our conversation in times past of the lust of the flesh. Anybody remember back to the old days when you hung out with your buddies and it was uh, pretty rough sledding? <laughs> the dark ages. <laughs> Some rough times. Oh, none of you ever went through that? Boy, I sure did. It says you were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Here's the here's the funny. Well, it's not funny. If you're children of disobedience, you're going to be children of wrath also, because if you don't obey God, the wrath of God's going to come down on you. So we need to get our disobedience in check, get in the ark of God, because as Jeremy taught when he was doing Thessalonians, we're not children of of wrath anymore. We're not appointed unto wrath. We're We're appointed unto the inheritance. When's an inheritance go into effect? When When someone died. Okay. Well, there's two deaths involved in our inheritance. First off, I don't know who taught this, but whoever did, whether it was, Dan or whoever, or Jeremy. The first death was the death of Christ on the cross. The second death is our death.
2: I couldn't hear what you said about The first is,
0: is the sacrifice of Calvary. The second is our death, dying to self, so that we might inherit the promise. Amen. And inheritance doesn't take effect until the, the person that signed the will, is. then it goes into effect. Right. Okay? So we don't want to be children of disobedience. We, want to be, uh, uh, we don't want to be children of wrath. Verse 4, but God, but God, Every time you see that in the Word, something good's coming. I mean, just think about that. Every one of us was there to different degrees. We listened to the prince of the power of the air. <laughs> just a silly little sidelight. <laughs> well, if you,
1: if you go back and you look at verse 121, where it said Christ is far above all principality, and then when he comes in in verse 2, and you've got Satan there, according, you know, to the uh, the curse, according to the prince of the power of the air, we know that Christ is, he has more power. Yeah. I like that word, power. Power. Because, you know, the enemy likes to think he has power. But mm-hmm. we as Christians today have more power because we just learned about it right there on 121. Amen. When we're in Christ, we have the power to overcome the principalities of the power of the
0: air. The authority. That's the authority, right? yeah. yeah. Just a funny little sidelight I saw that word, the principality the power of the air. Yeah. When, I, when I was a rounder, or whatever you want to call it, I always played, how many of you ever played air guitar? <laughs> Barry, Jeff, you know what I mean? You know, air guitar, you'd get all dipsy doodle and you play air guitar. Oh, yeah. Well, after I got saved, I learned how to play guitar. <laughs> I mean, that might not seem like much, but, you know, I went from air guitar, playing for the principality of the air, to playing a real guitar, because it, God used it in worship. So I went from air guitar, so that's that's not biblical, but it's, it's a good illustration.
1: Well, it was the music you were playing, on. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, anyhow, the the devil got kicked out. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, verse 5, even when we were dead in sin, he has made us alive or quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And verse 6 says, and he raised us up together. And here's that thing again. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He blazed the trail. He's the bridge between fallen man and holy God. He's the sin eater. Anybody ever read that book, The Sin Eater? Yeah. Francis, Francis Rivers? Yeah. Sin Eater. In the Old Testament, what they have? Scapegoat? Yeah. yeah. Anybody remember the scapegoat where they would uh, put the sins of the people on the scapegoat and he'd drive him off to the wilderness or whatever. I don't know exactly what happened. But there always has to be a substitute for sin. But now, not only has Christ been raised up, he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Did you ever go back and meet some of your old buddies and that that you used to hang out with, and they can't believe what you've turned into now? In a good way. <laughs> yeah. Anybody remember the old crowd? And you'll go back and you'll say, come on, man, let's go do this. Yeah, oh, man, I don't do that no more. Why don't you? Well, you don't do it. I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ Jesus. Not I that live but Christ who lives in me. And they're astonished. Mm-hmm. I was rotten. How many of you well Steve? I know Steve was rotten, but we don't want to ask. All the
1: ones I knew are dead. Wow. Yeah.
0: Did you sing at their funeral?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: wedding. That'll,
0: that'll raise the dead.
1: <laughs>
0: I better move on. <laughs>
1: Are. There isn't anybody that's any different until, you know, we came to Christ. We right. all were. So, mm-hmm. I mean, none of us had any hope. So.
0: I met a, a, another pastor that I used to, uh, before we were pastors, <laughs> when we moved back from California in 74, we moved in a little rental house over in Hebron, and me and Darlene and Chris, and she was pregnant with Matt, I think, or he had just been born. Well, anyhow, the guys next door thought I was cool because I had a California license plate. And they come over and they said, you gotta be cool, you're from California. I said, no, I was in the Navy out there. So one thing led to another and uh, they they were partiers and uh, uh, it wasn't a good story on any of our parts. But years later, they were trying to put an abortion clinic in one of the office buildings in Florence, back in the late 80s or something, early 90s. And this doctor was remodeling this place right down from where our church was. And uh, so we everybody got together, all the churches, and we, uh, we went down there and we picketed it. We didn't want them putting it in there. And lo and behold, I look around and we're marching around the building. Here comes this guy I used to party with. I mean, he was a hard partier. He made me look like a novice. He was all clean cut and looking. He said, Lonnie. And I won't tell you his name. I'll just call him Gus. But (laughs) I said, Gus, is that you? He said, yeah. I said, what in the world are you doing here? I'm a pastor now. And I said, get out (laughs) of here. I couldn't believe it. Because if I ever thought somebody wouldn't get saved, it was that guy. I mean, he was worse than I ever thought of being. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, he was a wild man. And for me to see him, he had a suit on and everything else and all gussied up. And we couldn't believe each other until we just, and I went and preached at his church and he came. It was just a, a miraculous thing what God does when He quickens you and which makes you alive. Amen? Yeah, that's wow. So cool. and, I
1: think, I think- the one of the hardest things today is is when people think that they're good enough, you know, people, you know, they don't realize that that you can't be good enough, you know, that we all need a savior. Yeah. But there are people that live their lives and they think, okay, well, you know, they don't really know what God's word says as far as, you know, that we all need a savior. But they just feel like they're good enough in their lives, you know, that they are going to go to heaven. And if you ask most people today.
0: Oh, they're all going. Everybody Everybody's going.
1: is going to heaven.
0: And I like so how people in, people in Hollywood always say how spiritual they are, I think. I don't know what kind of spirits they're listening to, but I mean, there's some good people out there. But, but their spirit doesn't jive with my spirit. I like what, uh, was it Barry last week was talking about, uh, was it Barry? I have some talking about how the Word, there's not.
2: rare yeah, the
0: rarity. The, the rarity of the Word. and Let me say one thing. I, I love praise and worship. Jeremy and the guys and girls around here, they do a magnificent job. Amen. But, in the, you know, we need to be careful, not here, but we need to be careful in Pentecost right now, we don't place more emphasis on the music than we do on the preached and spoken word of god i mean
1: well i think that was another thing that you know the one time that we went to israel and we were sitting by that that girl that had the barka on you know Mm -hmm. and me and claudia got to talk to her you know and we told her we were christians and stuff and what we believed in that and you know everything that they believe, you know, isn't... They don't have access to it. They're taught through their husbands or they're taught through a spiritual leader. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wow, you know. So that's where their beliefs come in, where, you know, here we have the freedom to pick up our word, to read it, to know. And I mean, you know, and that's our uh, duty as a Christian is to grow in God's word and that. But just to, when we were sitting there talking to her, everything that she's taught... She's taught through a human being Well, mm-hmm. about their religion.
0: Okay, that's satanic, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the faith I grew up in was the same way. Mm-hmm. You just sat and you listened. Right. Uh, why do you think that the Reformation was such an uh, earth-shattering thing, earthquake? It's because the Reformation, Luther and all them and all the Bible translators, they were making the Word of God available to the common, everyday man. Amen. Where before, it was in control of the yeah. church or whatever. Islam's the same way. You can't know uh, anything on your own. You have to know, you know. And, um, Our education system is only teaching people what they want, what they need to know. They're not teaching them how to think. They're teaching them what to think. Right. Yeah. Well. Same, same principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why there was such a backlash to the Spanish Inquisition and and all the people being martyred. Uh, You want to have a light read before you go to bed one night, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. That'll cheer you up. Uh, But that was all backlash against people having the word of God is what it was. And so whenever your religion is dictated to you, you're in trouble. So.
2: I remember reading a book and uh, or an article somewhere and Lou Giglio, Pastor Lou Giglio and Chris Tomlin have a great relationship and Chris Tomlin is always considered um, you know, Pastor Lou as pastor. And he said when he write, when God gives him a song or he's writing a song he submits and subjects his writing to the the sound doctrine of the pastor mm-hmm. you know, that his that he wants the songs to have sound theology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm seeing in this movement, you know, is there's a lot of stuff out there, man, that is just not sound, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just Amen. not doctrine. You know, that's what made the hymns so rich, yeah, is because they were full of doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's like you yeah. were reading the scripture, you were singing the Word, and, you know, and we got to have music Amen. that has sound theology. Sound theology, Amen. In, yeah.
0: Amen. I agree. Amen. I agree, and I love all the movements nowadays. I mean, I'm I'm a halfway musician, so, you know, I love making music and praising God, and I, I feel like I'm kind of a psalmist at times. I love just to... But we need to balance it with the Word of God. Amen. Because if there's a... You know, I've been places where I've seen the worship end and a good number of people just get up and walk out. You know, and I mean, in large places. And I don't think that's healthy. That's not what the Word of God's about. Because even those new songs that they're writing should spring from the book of Psalms or theological revelation that you get from... He said, I want you to have understanding and, and knowledge of Christ. And so all that should point... To a deeper relationship with Christ. So we got to make sure that the word does not get buried in, in the song, okay?
1: Well, when the songs are more about us than they are, yeah. About him. Well, mm-hmm. good that's point. we get into trouble, that's there some. eyes in
2: the lyrics? How many times do yeah. you see the letter I? It's yeah. mm-hmm. a good indicator.
0: Um, um. Let me put this delicately. Some forms of gospel music, it's all about I. I got a this, or I'm going to get that, or I have a this. And it it just talks about what we're going to get, which is we have an inheritance. But to me, praise should be about Him. It should glorify God. It shouldn't glorify us. So let me move on. Um, Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Wow. Definition, grace. Grace is the love and mercy of God in action. Let that sink in. Grace is the love and mercy of God in action. Mercy is unmerited favor. Everybody knows what love is. So what grace is is a combination of the two. God has mercy on us and He loves us. And so He extends grace to us. That's what that scripture says. For by grace are you saved through faith. By grace through faith are you saved. Is grace available to everybody? What keeps them from receiving it? Through faith. Faith, Yeah. yeah. Through faith. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Grace? Through. Through faith. The world is full of grace. The grace of God is everywhere. But if we don't accept it by faith, then it has no effect in our lives. That's why Paul said, he said, I don't frustrate the grace of God. So there's a constant supply of grace in our lives. But it's through faith. We have to believe in the grace that's offered to us. It's not the other way around. So a good definition is remember that mercy... And love make up grace because grace is God's love toward us and his uh, and mercy is his forgiveness toward us. And that makes up a good definition of grace that I never saw before. So write that down. Um, Mercy is considered a negative thing because it takes care of a negative act in our life. Okay, mercy is negative, but love is positive. And you put those two together and they balance out and they make grace.
1: Amen. Isn't that cool? That is awesome.
0: We all need mercy and we all need love. And so it's all combined in the word grace. By grace are you, but you're saved by love, yes, and you're saved by mercy. But what's the word for that is grace. And I can't keep on, it just excites me that through faith, through faith, through faith. It's like the Wizard of Oz, you know. Follow the yellow brick road, you know, and all the problems that they had, and they were determined they're going to get the, you know, they were going to go see the wizard. (laughs) Yeah, Barry. One thing I I always like to think of it is, is grace is, grace is getting something good that I don't deserve, Mm -hmm. and mercy is not getting something bad that I do deserve. (laughs) Oh, good. I like that too. To hell, but God's yeah. grace, Amen. I good life that I don't deserve. So you all can write that one down too. That's a good, good one. Well, that's a good one. I like that one too. Yeah, that's good, man. That's mercy. Yeah, right there. Grace is, grace is getting something good that you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting something bad that you yeah. do deserve. Yeah. Good word. Boy, that grace is coming through, ain't it? Amen. Amen. Through faith. For grace, by grace, are you saved. Through faith. That's kind of how I look at worship. You know, worship is to put us firmly in the presence of God and tell Him who He is. Praise should put us through to God. That's why you've heard me say many times, God loves it when we tell him who he is. Well, he knows who he is. He don't have an identity crisis. But it's just like when one of your kids tell you, well, you're a good dad. You know, you're a good mom. And uh, when we tell our Heavenly Father that he's a good, good father, then he appreciates that. You know, I mean, like I said, he's the God of love, so he wants to be loved. He's the God of mercy, so he wants us to show mercy. Then he's the God of grace, so he wants us to be graceful. Okay, verse 9. Yes, Lee. Not of yourself. Nope. Right? It's, a gift of God, not of yourself. it's a gift. Amen. Gift is freely given. Yep. And you just receive it. You can't do anything to get it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. It's a gift. Yeah. It is. No strength in that. It's not of ourselves. And verse 9 says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Remember the, the uh, parable where they said, well, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We did this. We we did this. He said, but I don't know who you are. You know, we can also use the name of Jesus as a good luck charm, and it's not. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Uh, in the New Living, it says we are his masterpiece. We're created, and there's that in, again, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. OK, now here's where the predestination and the, and the confusion over "Well, I don't have any choice. God picked me to be saved and I'm going to be saved no matter what. That's Calvinism, which is John Calvin was a great man, but we'll get into that uh, next week a little bit more. But we're saved unto good works. See, there's a difference there predestination or Calvinism will teach that you had no choice. God destined Steve to be saved and God ran him down and no matter what, he had no choice in the matter. I think that's a proper description of it. And you're predestined is what it says. But now, the other side, there's no, really no side. It's just different doctrines in the Christian camp. The other side says, we are set aside or saved under good works that we have a choice in the matter. So if we don't get saved by grace through faith, then we're rejecting the grace of God. Is it making any sense here? But we do have a choice in the matter, right? We still have a choice. Where certain uh, orthodoxes will preach that you had no choice because God chose you before the foundation of the world. I believe, as David Paulson says, that I'm doing what God wanted me to do. But I think there was a long road for me to get here. And the one one doctrine teaches that I had no choice. But I can remember a lot of choices. So until I got saved, this is always a problem area when you get into this, but when I got saved through faith in Jesus Christ and realized that it's not of myself and not of my works because a lot of people are great church members yeah. of different faiths. They'll they'll work and they'll work and they'll do this and they'll do that and they'll do everything. But the danger there is that salvation is not of works. Right. Because if it was, then Paul says here, it's not of works because we tend to boast about our works. <laughs> I, I think faith is a choice, isn't it? What's that? Faith is a choice. It all begins with a choice. Now if I see a bridge I to drive up. And what might hold the bridge up? I have a choice. What holds the bridge up? Maybe. Grace. Yeah. <laughs> Grace. I'm crossing this bridge. Grace to God be here. But you've got to have faith that God hears you. And so it's not of works. You didn't build the bridge. <laughs> See, that's like saying, well, I'm, I'm going to be safe because I built it. Well, you didn't build it. You just came upon it. Me and Darlene went across a covered bridge the other day. And I thought, it's kind of a rickety old thing, you know, but it was cool. I didn't build it, so I had to have faith and grace, <laughs> God's grace and faith that is it it's going to hold me up. Huh? Oh, no. Uh-uh. It was in Adams County. So, we, we don't boast when it comes to salvation, we realize that it's a gift, okay? Um, it's like when you receive a gift and you say, oh, man, I, I deserve that. I'm glad, talk, I'm, I'm glad God talked to you because I really deserve that. Most people don't act that way when they, get a, when they get a gift. They're humbled by a gift because they realize that they had, you know, it's like, yeah, you should have given me a gift long ago. That's not our attitude about a gift. Our attitude about a gift is, I don't deserve this. And that's what salvation is. We don't deserve salvation, but it's grace through faith. Okay. For we are His masterpiece, and we're created in in Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. I believe when God has called you to do something, whether it's a worship leader, whether it's a missionary, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whatever God has called you in, He purposed for you to walk. You are ordained to walk in them. That was God's plan for your life. I believe that God's got a plan for everybody's life. I have to believe that because I don't think God made us for no reason. So, if I'm His workmanship, and He's formed me and created me into Christ Jesus, unto good works, that means when I accepted, when I took the choice and accepted Him as my Savior, my plan for life, although I didn't understand it all, He had it all laid out for me. So, verse 11 says, Wherefore, remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. We'll get, we'll, we'll wade through that in a minute. Verse 12, that at the times you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Okay. And strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Now, what he's doing here is he's speaking to the Jew and the Gentile here because the Jews would not associate with Gentiles. Remember what Peter went through when he saw the sheet uh, pushed down in Cornelius' house and and, uh, how God said, how dare you call something unclean that I said is clean. Uh, Paul's whole mission was to bring the Jew and Gentile together. I mean, they couldn't even eat. Remember when Jesus was at the well? It wasn't a big deal that he was talking to a woman. It was a bigger deal that he passed through Samaria because they had no relationship with Samaria because they didn't believe alike. So um, the cross put all that stuff to death. That's why a lot of denominations don't discern the cross and they get into replacement theology, which says that the church now is spiritual Israel, that Israel is not the covenant people with God. Well, that's a lie. They're always going to be the covenant people with God. But uh, replacement theology says when they rejected Jesus, that the church, the church, the apostolic or whatever you call it, has replaced Israel. Well, if that's the case, we're in big trouble. It's not the case. Because the cross was all about creating... The bridge. The bridge. For one new man. Amen. Amen. In the cross he made one new man. Amen. And we I don't have time to get into that this week, but um, verse thirteen. Well, here's here verse twelve. It says before the cross, before we got saved, we were aliens for the for what God had promised Israel. And what did he promise? They had covenants. Uh, The Jewish people have covenants of promise and they're still active in the word. I mean, they were never canceled out of the word. Why do you why do you think that they got their land back in 48? Because it's all prophetic. God said that this was going to happen. Everything that he said was going to happen. He didn't forget his promise to the Jews. And how many of you know what the uh, diaspora was? That's when they were scattered after the fall of Jerusalem into all the countries of the world. They were scattered into all the countries. Well, isn't it interesting that Hitler tried to exterminate... It just wasn't Hitler. It was different denominations, different churches. They hate the Jewish people because they hate the promises of God. Because if you accept the promises of God, you must also accept the disciplines of God. And the the problem with sin is it doesn't want to accept the disciplines that God puts with it. So... Well, uh, uh,
1: before we yeah. wrapped it in, the word that the, the Living Bible says that we were enemies.
0: We right? were enemies.
1: With the children. Well, that's... With the Israelites, and we really were.
0: We were <laughs> And so because you,
1: we were lost until we were grafted in. We had no hope. We had no savior. We had you know and, and until you know Christ died on the cross and we were grafted in, we had nothing. Because yeah. we were not children of promise. No, because you know we I were look at that. W- the
0: There's Gentile of a, a child of God or a child of faith. Yeah. Yeah. There's no in between. No, yeah. there isn't. And the, and the hatred of the Jewish people is satanic. It's motivated by Satan, because you know why? Right. Because they
1: realized that Israel looked at us as their enemy. Because if you go well, the Gentiles were always persecuting them. Yeah, sure. Well,
0: they were under Roman rule, and they were they were Gentiles. Israel was always, but God promised them that He would not forget His covenant. And so in the late 1890s, the Balfour documents and all that came out where they were starting to push for a homeland for Israel. Yeah. And then the Second World War just put the lid on it because that's what happened is Hitler, demonically inspired, tried to exterminate not just the Jewish people, but everybody that was infirm, everybody that was, yeah. I mean, he wanted to make a pure race. Which is just the heights of humanism, is all it is. And so after that, the British, to be honest with you, uh, started the movement about putting Israel back in their land. Mm -hmm. And so. It was their land. It's It's their land. Yeah. England's land at the time. Well, yeah, England, yeah. Well, it's too. I hate to say anything bad, but it's too bad for England right now because they've turned their back on a lot of the principles that. uh, Mm -hmm. But if you look at Europe. You can look all the way at Europe and you can almost see how the things of God go from country to country to country to country. And when they start forgetting where they came from, yep. then they run into trouble. And I kind of look at things like you had the French who were preeminent for a while. You had the Dutch, you had the, the Spaniards, you had the Italians, you had the Germans. And I read the other day that are 50 percent of the population of the Cincinnati area comes from German descent. Yep. I never realized that. Yeah. yeah, big German population. Up until World War I, they spoke German and uh, over to Rhine, that was a German-speaking community. And see, here's the danger of this, because all those people, the Germans and Italians, some of them, and uh, a lot of them came looking for a place to practice their faith mm-hmm. after the Reformation. Well, those very people now are not passing things on down to their, nope. their kids. So we're losing the very faith that they were trying to protect. That's what they came over here for. And it goes farther and farther into humanism. And so the hatred of the, of the Jews is not going to stop until their salvation comes. I mean, they're surrounded by a billion Arabs right now, but they can't whip seven million people. And it just shows you that God's on their side. So we better quit there for this week.